Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. So today we're going to be talking about the pandemic, activism, and workforce dynamics. These are three of the top issues of today's organizations, and they must be considered as each of them has major implications on the organization and how we interact with one impacts how we deal with the others. So Dale joins me today to share his guidance to leaders by sharing some of the points leaders must be aware of when facing each of these three hot issues, and again, talks about how they interconnect so that we can make the most comprehensive and effective decisions as leaders. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations into industry leaders. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted that today our guest is Dr. Dale Myrose. Dale's a retired Air Force Major General. He's the first president-approved U.S. Senate-confirmed Chief Information Officer for the U.S. Intelligence Communities. Technology leaders find it increasingly difficult to differentiate those few things that matter from the many things that seem to be important. With over four decades of military, government, industry, and academic experience, this internationally recognized technology thought leader offers practical advice for CIOs and leaders in navigating the 21st century digital world. So... Today, we're going to be focusing on pandemic activism and workforce dynamics. Due to political decisions, there are three major issues in today's organizations that they must be considering, and each has major implications on the organization, if not handled properly. Dale joins me today to provide guidance to today's leaders through some of the points leaders must be aware of when facing each of these three hot issues. So we're going to start with the pandemic. Dale, thank you for joining us. Uh, Thanks, Maureen, for having me. So uh, as we talk about new policies on distancing, working remotely, security, both physical and cyber, how do you think this will impact the world of work and services going forward? Well, I, I, th- I think the key for, for leaders is to, to realize that, uh, that, that, like all things, leadership is about balancing competing priorities. You know, we're used to these competing priorities in many areas like quality versus price, uh, execution versus planning, expediency versus resiliency, individual needs versus company needs, risk and results. And, and I think this falls in the same spectrum when you start peeling all of the various layers of, of the onion back. Risk is risk. 
Uh, some are known, some are unknown. Uh, and I and I think the key is is to accept unknowns early in the process, and through then through a process of uh, of research discovery, uh, turning those unknowns to knowns, and that's what a, a lot of of the situation facing uh, leadership in our in our companies are today in dealing with today's environment. I so I think you, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I I think there are three things to keep in mind. One is, is the leader needs to maintain perspective. Second is, is leader needs to put all of the things that are happening in our world in the context of the company. And then the third thing is, is the leader needs to sort out the best information uh, for for his or her, her organization and act accordingly. So... Given that, do you see structural changes or just accelerating of what has already started? Because each of those three plays out differently. Um, if this is a point in time that's going to go back to where we were, or if we're going to have significant structural changes as we go forward. Now, my, my view is, is, is that there are a lot of temporal and transit type considerations right now playing out and and knowing those and differentiating those for the low, those that are longer and last and, and more enduring uh, is is in, is indeed an issue I believe that that the resultant changes we will see is an acceleration of changes that were already in the workplace and this change just accelerated I don't see a fundamental change in everything or everybody. Uh, in, in every in every context. So I think you and you and I have talked about this fairly regularly. Some of the changes that have been accelerated are things like telemedicine and working from home that aren't new overall, but for some organizations, I think I read a McKinsey study talking about accelerating the pace by a factor of ten times. For some organizations, yeah, I, and and I, I think that's right. And and you bring up a couple good examples. And as you, as you know, injecting technology into telemedicine was the thesis for my for my uh, doctoral degree. Uh, and 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 again, it's it's the accelerated change doesn't necessarily have to do with the accelerating of the technology but it accelerates the acceptance of how the technology is used. And you gave a couple of very, very good examples, one in telemedicine, the other, the other in business. So, you know, the, the element of, of accepting uh, remote work for many types of functions has, has been there for a long time. And because of the current circumstances, there is more of an acceptance of that as a way to do business and to move forward. Which is really beneficial because as we're recording this slightly before it airs, we're watching uh, nationwide insurance is local to me in Columbus, Ohio. It looks like they're, they were remote. They Some people went back to the office in Columbus, and it looks like they are again going remote. So it will be a significant business differentiator for survival that organizations are able to work from home. It also might be a significant differentiator for those to excel. 
Uh, again, let's remind ourselves of the responsibilities of a leader, and that is anticipate, not just execute what you're doing, but anticipate what you're going to need to do tomorrow or the next day. And I would submit to you that not every risk in the world is applicable to every company. Of course you not. Know, yeah, yeah. There are some people that get you know, all hyper about this, and it's not applicable to them. But because of of the media and things like that, we tend to we tend to see all of, all of those fears and, and they come in. And I would also maintain that that the that the risk is not the same within a company. For instance, you know, there we, we we're learning there are more and more things that you can do remotely. I would submit mm-hmm. to you that being a lab technician is not one of them. Needs equipment, needs, you know, needs needs all kinds of other things that are not available in, in his or her home. And mm-hmm. and so so what a lab technician needs is different from an accountant. And what the accountant needs is probably different than what the sales force needs. So that gets, uh, I think, two things that you said that that resonate. One, I'm working with researchers and they've had to reconfigure their lab so that they can be six feet apart, which is, and I know you've spent time in research labs. That's not always easy to do, right? but it is doable. The other is, I think it is important to look at how do we prioritize what risks people are, are going to be subjected to. So most people didn't have a pandemic plan, but because we're so interconnected, many risks are flow through to me. So I, I'm less impacted directly by pandemic, but certainly secondary impact is dramatic on my business. And yeah. And and, and again, you have to not only think of your, of the people that work in your company, you have to think of your partners, your stakeholders, your suppliers, your supply chains, and all those other kinds of things, uh, and in which you've probably done a risk analysis on in many contexts, cybersecurity mm-hmm. contexts, physical security contexts, inventory control, all those other kinds of things. So that so the safety of of people in you know in those interactions is is. Uh, while you may have of, of taking care of the physical safety, you may not have thought through the idea of of a, of a pandemic type uh, series of risks. Well, specifically, and this is another area of your expertise, I assume when people start logging on from their computers at home, there's a different opportunity for cyber criminals to break in especially when the, the computer may be a multi-use computer for different family members. Oh, absolutely. And, and because we've distributed workload, don't just think workforce, think workload, because that's distributed in a different way, uh, the big box telecom companies had to reapportion bandwidth and manage it differently because its normal profiles and flows uh, were, were changed because of the dispersion of, of where the workload and mm-hmm. workforce migrated to. Okay. <clears throat> so what is the implication of that? Because I understand that that is true. Is there a cybersecurity implication? 
Yeah, there, there, there is a cybersecurity implication. And, and again, it's more uh, human than it is technical. Uh, most cybersecurity breaches and such are nothing more than the loss uh, of, an, of an access token, a login. And, and, and so a lot of the scams that come up, you know, have the language of the pandemic, help protect yourself, help do this, things like that. Which, which then entices individuals uh, to give up their access keys and tokens. And mm. then, then you, you end up. So, so some companies who, who bring their workload and their workforce onto a campus, that protection is different than, than having that workload and workforce distributed. Okay. So you have to have different education elements. You have to train your people differently. You have to, you know, you know, there become there becomes a new set of rules of preferred methods and absolute don'ts. So can you give us a couple examples of absolute don'ts? Because I think most companies were phenomenal at deploying getting their workers home whether they had to take their desktop in their car with them to their home or, or whether they had laptops and protocols. So that ranged, but most companies did a pretty darn good job. My assumption is they didn't get retraining immediately because the technology folks were scrambling as fast as they could just to make the business run and cybersecurity for many was important, but wasn't the first step. I, I, I think that is a, an excellent observation. Uh, and, and so, so the, the business of, of setting up a cyberly secure, uh, functional, uh, distributed operation has the same mechanics, the same considerations as you would on a campus. The difference is, is the distributed workload. And so you have to create new profiles you have to create new access rules, uh, and and again, if one, once you once you create these things, it, it creates uh, you know you you have you have to encrypt this document, which has got personally identifiable information on your desktop before you transmit it to another to another person in in the organization. Uh, the, the handling of proprietary information may have a few additional rules. Uh, attached to it, uh, mm-hmm. what what the what the company allows you to download at home versus uh, write access, you know, to read only versus write access may may become different. Uh, and 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 again, those those are those are things that that each organization ha- has to factor in. So so their process and the, and, and their plan uh, and how they approach it. Uh, as long as it's a good solid one, we'll work in this environment as well. You just have to you just have to include in other variables that didn't exist before. Got it. So we have a couple more minutes in this segment, about a minute and a half. What else do you recommend companies must do for leaders and companies, specifically as we have three topics on the show for the pandemic? Uh, 
you know, the, probably the, the one of the most important things that a leader can do is find good information. And that's really okay. hard to do. And never trust information obtained from those who stand to profit from the counsel and information they give you. And, and there are two aspects, two very quick aspects to this. First is, is yourself becoming informed. And the second is, is all your people are listening to media, social media, and all these other kinds of things, and actually getting a lot of misinformation. Mm -hmm. And so not only do you have to become informed, but you have to figure out how to communicate to your people that says, well, what you heard on TV is not actually not only applicable to us, but here is a better way that we're going to look at it in order to protect, protect our employees and our company. So, so there, again, two aspects, you're dealing with you, the leader becoming inform, uh, more informed as to what can I do or should do. And then you have to deal with your employees' perceptions. And I, I would caution everybody. There's a, there's a, a, a guy that I've done a, a, a lot of work with. The guy's name is Phil Tetlock. And, and he has the saying that experts are no more effective of predictors than dart throwing chimpanzees. And so Gosh, I hope that's not true since I'm one of those experts. Well, most experts, you, and you're not one of those types, but most experts are self-anointed, self-appointed. Okay. Uh, and in fact, there is an inverse relationship between fame and the accuracy of, of the expert. And, and he's, he's got, you know, uh, years of study of, of prediction of how people predict and what's reliable and what's not reliable. And, and, uh, and going through that, I think, is really important. Beautiful. So we're going to go on break. We will be right back. This is Maureen Metcalf and Dale Myros. And for our listeners, as we're on break, since Dale talked last about where are you getting information, I would invite you to reflect on is the information you're using, because you've been listening to it over a period of time, I presume, is it proving to be accurate over time, as, as reasonably accurate as we would expect information to be? Or are you finding flaws that could be leading you to inaccurate conclusions and consequently suboptimal behaviors? We'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute 
offers proven results backed by leading edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. You're with Maureen Metcalf and Dale Myros. The second segment is going to talk about activism. So recently we've seen Black Lives Matter movement. We've seen LGBTQ plus ruling by the Supreme Court. And I'll also add in the Me Too movement all within the last year. So these all move employees into activism in different ways, in different companies, depending on where they're located and their culture and and all of those factors that impact employees. Some of them are even walking out over company policies, which I think is interesting that employees are taking a much more active role. So what do you anticipate in the next quarter specifically related to activism? Well, I, I think that, that you, have to, you have to decide what hills you're willing to die on uh, as, as an organization and, and what your brand is. And, oh, by the way, what are the conditions under which you uh, hire your employees? And it differs okay. from state to state. You know, you know, most folks, you know, they don't really understand it, but they're at-will employees. Mm-hmm. And in most states, at-will employees can, can be terminated uh, for any number of reasons, and they don't necessarily in some states have to be stated. Uh, but, but people are, are you know, we'll, and we'll talk, we've talked about this many times, how, how your talent is your real true gift differentiator. Uh, but, but you have to figure out what, what your brand is and what you're willing to associate with. And uh, for instance, if, you're, if you work for the federal government, you don't have an option. Because there's a law called the Hatch Act that says that you can't that you can't do those kinds of things, engage in political activity uh, while you're on the job. Okay. Um, you know, and and, uh, and and some people get get all wrapped around the idea about you know what they're free to do. For instance, if you worked at Home Depot but insisted on wearing a Lowe's apron at the Home Depot, I think that's cause enough to get rid of you. <laughs> And that's a wonderful illustration of how um, how simple some of this can be. And yet for some people, it's very complex because it's a conflict of my personal values versus what my company states. And it's evolving. Yeah, it, it is. And, and, and again, co- companies decide what their brands are, uh, but, but, I don't think, you know, while, while there are right-to-work laws, 
uh, there, there are not, you know, you have to work for me laws. Mm -hmm. And, and so, uh, again, uh, leader, leader has to do two things, sort out fact from fiction, fact from fiction, and, and, and figure out what the, what the culture mood tenor of their organization is. And, and not everybody views all causes the same. You know, there are uh, yeah. probably some causes that, that, that you that you read there that 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 many of us would have, you know, you know, very, very uh, deep disagreements with. So so let let me give you an idea of, a, again, a practical element. And I call it the Girl Scout cookie slope. OK, so, so you're opposed to Girl Scout cookies. No but I'm opposed to Girl Scout cookies in the workplace. Okay. Okay. So, and, and I, I, I had daughters who were all Girl Scouts and, and all Girl Scouts for the most part sell Girl Scout cookies uh, and, and is the rot of many or tendency of, of, of many parents is to help, help out, you know? And, and mm-hmm. so some, somebody says, uh, uh, I'm going to put some Girl Scout cookies in the break room, and and you know there's a there, there's a jar there. Just you know, drop your money in the jar and take your Girl Scout cookies. Well, why does he get to put his daughter's Girl Scout cookies in there, and I don't get to put my daughter's Girl Scout cookies in there? And and so you know, even if two people agree that supporting the Girl Scouts is a is a virtuous thing. And helping this, you end up with with uh, uh, con- conflicting, you know, competition here with, with with regard to who can sell a Girl Scout cookie, or and who should my, sell a Girl Scout cookie in the that's office. That's right. Or or oh, by the way, my my son's little league is raising money by selling chocolate bars. Oh, and yeah. so here are the chocolate bars in the break room. Drop a dollar in. Oh, by the way, my church choir is raising money by by selling, you know, pick something. Yeah, I know. I we I think many of us have had this. Sure, we have. Sure, issue. We have. And by yeah. the way, chocolate bars are okay. The rest may not be. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> but the point the point of the matter is that even if when there's agreement on the value of supporting something that's not mm-hmm. it's tangentially associated with, with your organization, there will often be conflict and how that's executed. And so I never allowed Girl Scout cookies, Little League chocolate bars, uh, you know, church, uh, church book or any of those other kinds of things uh, in the workplace. And, and we approached it as, as a mutual respect thing. But every company's got to decide its brand and stewardship and how it distinguishes itself as a responsible citizen, if you will, of either its community, its industry, or the place and where it works. You know, and, what, oh, and, go ahead. And you got you got to be real careful about that. You know, it's been interesting to me to watch, and it's been the Black Lives Matter demonstrations. It, is companies have call policies. Black lives, many would call those Black Lives Matters protests. Therein is, okay. I'm yeah, and I'm I'm or 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 riots or other names. 
See? So let's let's go with the more um, let's go with the high ground here. Let's call them demonstrations. And I realize there's been a range from very peaceful demonstrations to peaceful protests to not peaceful. So I'll acknowledge I, I appropriately acknowledge that. So companies are then making decisions on things like we used to um, feed police officers for half price. Sure. They they then change that policy based on employee sentiment, uh, or they don't change it and employees walk out, or they do change it and employees walk out. So you've got some employees who are pro-police, we've got some employees who are pro-demonstrators, and we've got some who are balanced. So it seems like companies are then trying to make policy decisions very quickly to, uh, I'm assuming, to both balance their values and their employees and their broader stakeholders. And sometimes even the most well-intended organizations get this wrong and they're course correcting pretty quickly. Well, I would submit to you that how is Black Lives Matter important to your company? And I would submit that it's not that Black Lives Matter as, as, as a part of, of organizations, what you sell, who you deal with may not be congruent. And therefore, why, you know, why, why do you complicate uh, your situation? Remember, not all ills in society and not all things in the world uh, are, are, are your organizations to solve. And, and, and so, you know, you need, in my view, you need a compelling reason because, because uh, just taking a stance on BLM is a political statement. And if your company is not in the business or needs to be in the business of political statements, why do you even go there? Well, and that's been an interesting behind the scenes conversation that I'm having with lots of people it is what's ours to state publicly, what's ours to state privately. So I, as an executive, may have a policy of diversity, equity, and inclusion within my organization to make sure that people are treated fairly. And for some folks, that that does not require a, an external public statement others would believe that it does require an external public statement. And for some folks, they really want to be clear on the consequences all the way around before they do anything publicly. They're, they're just being deliberate and thoughtful. Again, where does the accountability risk? I, I would submit to you that you, you've already skipped the most important part. Most, because fairness is in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. The most important part is, are you legal? Okay. Now that I'm legal, how do I how do I how do I apply that across across my organization with with policies and such like that? And so the accountability for the organization for you know for for a sales unit for what a sales unit can do is different than the accountability than the sales VP VP different than the CEO different different than than uh, than reporting to the uh, uh, to the board. Mm-hmm. And I would submit to you that those that those large issue elements are not an individual uh, leader or supervisor down in an organization's issue to solve. That's a that's a top level thing as to whether or not this becomes 
a brand, a stewardship issue, or, or whatever that we as a, as a company support. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, you know, the, 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 the layers that feed into that are an internal matter and need to be, need to be taken account of. Uh, but, but, but the business about, uh, you know, I as a division manager or, or I as a first level manager or something like this need to make a public statement. You're not allowed to oh. speak on behalf of the company. Yeah, I'm not submitting that. I'm, I'm thinking more, what am I doing with my company? Uh, and I'm seeing board committees focused on, I'll say DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So it is really at the top level of the organization. And I absolutely agree that anything other than if, if the organization is working on it, then I should not be making any public statements. Yeah, I, I, I would. I would also suggest that that there's another distinction that needs to be here. Are you a privately held company, company or a publicly traded company? Mm-hmm. So a public traded company might need to make more public statements about issues uh, because they've got hundreds, if not thousands, of stockholders that own stock. That whatever. Mm-hmm. If you're a privately held company, I, I submit that that does not necessarily have to be a publicly held discussion unless you want to make it part of your brand and stewardship outreach. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense. And many companies are choosing to make it part of their brand, even though that might not be the sole mission of, or the primary mission of the company. And I'm thinking of, Hundreds of CEOs in Columbus, Ohio, have signed a letter about combating systemic racism, and most of their those companies aren't. That's not their sole or primary business. Sure, and and yet they're saying this is a social issue that needs to be addressed, and we're choosing to associate with this solution. Sure, and 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 by choosing to associate with that solution, there will be consequences. For, for yes. instance, I, I have I have let go uh, from my business dealings a half a dozen suppliers uh, based upon public statements that they've made. And so, without getting political, can you say more about that? Well, they, they've 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 come out in support of things that that I think are uh, uh, parts that that our brand does does not associate with. Okay. I'll give you I'll give you the most generic and probably the one that I've exercised the most. I have a company that sells internationally. We've talked about that company on on this program. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I have I have cut off sales in certain countries because of the policies of those countries with regard to the United States. Okay. You know, I my my baseline by the way is 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 the is the list published by the Department of Commerce and Department of State as to there's a good list and a bad list and a sometimes list and a good and all those kinds of things. And so we follow that because that's the law of our, of our country. Uh, but, but organizations who, who want to buy my product, uh, I, I ha- we have decided in, in that company, which is not publicly traded, uh, that we'll not do business with them. And we go by the consequence of not getting that revenue. That's a wonderful example because it takes it out of social justice and and into geopolitical. 
Yep. And, and, and again, you know, most many publicly traded companies are international. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so, so, uh, you know, what, what, what plays in this part of the world doesn't necessarily play in another part of the world. And I've, I've had clients that have had issues with, with, with cultures in various parts of the world, uh, you know, obvious, you know, don't, don't share the the same type of, of values, uh, that, that we, that we do. But here's another point that, that oftentimes we, you know, we as leaders get, get, get wrapped around, you know, that, that, uh, uh, that 80, over 80% of the companies, probably many of your listeners, uh, are, are small business owners. Mm-hmm. And maybe the vast majority of those don't even have employees. Matter of fact, I run two companies that has no employees. Matter of fact, most companies in the United States don't have employees. Uh, and, and, and so, so you have to resist the emotional that I feel strongly personally about something and I mm-hmm. want to make a statement. And do I link that with my business opportunities and my business propositions and things like that? And, 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 uh, and so uh, again, I, I think it's really important for, for leadership to, to always understand what's your basic foundation. What you fall back on when there's when there's issues about uh, you know any kind of problem, what, whether it's a cybersecurity problem, what, whether whether it's a uh, seems to be a socially imposed issue or or whatever, no, no matter how how that plays out, do you have a foundation that you say this is the reason for the existence of this company, and here are the permitted things that we will do in in order to foster the goals of this company. Some, some companies have social good as a part of their basis. We're not talking about those. We're talking about companies which, which by, by and large, want to sell a widget or a service. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you, don't, you don't care whether a rich person buys that service or a poor person buys that service. You just want the service to be bought and used, and used properly. Or you're, you're a company that we only sell to education institutions. We only sell to government institutions. We only sell to nonprofit institutions. We all, you know, say falling back on the basis of why you're an organization to begin with is something that, that uh, every leader is accountable and responsible for doing. Beautiful. So as we go on break, I encourage our listeners to think about why your organization is in business and does that why lead you to choose specific behaviors and or especially for smaller businesses is it the values of the founder or the person running the organization and what are the implications of being clear on those values so you are with Dale Myros and Maureen Metcalf And we are talking about the pandemic, activism, and workforce dynamics. We'll be right back for the final segment.
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. You're with Maureen Metcalf and Dale Myros. And today we're talking about pandemics, activism, and political policies. So our third segment is on workforce dynamics. So as with most disruptions, we don't face just one, we face multiple at the same time. So adding to the prior disruptions, we're also seeing immigration limits that are impacting organizations from farms to tech workers. We've noticed an acceleration of robotic process automation, artificial intelligence, and labor-saving technologies, specifically in the areas where workers uh, are impacted by COVID-19. And so, Dale, what are you seeing in this space specifically of workforce dynamics? Sure. As, as we talked about previously, this, this is where I really see it. it it's the acceleration of things that were already in place. You know, okay. a, a, a lot of the artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, 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 RPA and, and, and such, you know, have, have been around for a while. But now we're changing how we think about them, how, to, how we put them in the mix. Again, as you and I have talked many times, the ultimate competitive advantage for every organization is the talent of the workforce. Okay, and I believe in the future that every workforce will have a human component and a digital component. Uh-huh. And what you've got to do is, is you've got to figure out how to synergize them and maximize the synergy between what those things do. 
So, so for years, for decades, I, 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 I talk, I talk to, uh, to clients about it, uh, attracting, recruiting, hiring, retaining the necessary talent. And I, and I used to, used to say you can do that one of three ways. You can hire that talent. You can buy that talent. Uh, as in a merger or an acquisition, or you can rent that talent as in a contractor or something like that. I've now come up with a fourth way. You can either hire, buy, rent, or create that talent through artificial intelligence. And 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 so so I I, I really really see lots of lots of organizations now examining. You know how how do how do we merge those two environments, and 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 in fact uh, work on redefining how we think about work. So, can you say more about redefining how we think about work, and specifically, then let's tie it back to both social activism and the pandemic. Because these are, you know, we selected three these three because they are so interconnected. So, would you share a little bit with our listeners about the interconnections you see? Okay, again, I, I, I like to drop back to real basics. Work has been redefined for the entire journey of, of the human race on Earth, and and so my great grandfather had a farm of thirty acres. He never had a farm larger than 30 acres uh, because he could only plow 30 acres behind the back end of a horse. Okay. When my grandfather took over the farm, he expanded it because tractors came along and he could plow more acreage. And so it redefined what, you know, what the nature of work was with regard to farming. That's a very elementary uh, uh, explanation. But that's what's playing out in, 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 in a lot of things. Let's, let's, let's bring it more current. Okay, so, so many people remember back to 2012, 2013, the point of sale uh, breaches and data, data spillages and things like that that, that we had in, in the retail business. A lot, a lot of it incorrectly call it the target, the target breach. It was actually much broader than that and all had to do with points of sale. <clears throat> The finance industry relied on RPA as a means of performing all of those monitoring of electronic transition functions faster than a human could. And so the human was moved to a different layer, a different part of work, uh, because the the bots, the robots, the RP, you know, whatever you want to, or the RPAs. Yeah, whatever you, whatever you want to call them. Because it took away, you know, it, you know, the people no longer needed, needed to, to say, you know, say, does this data field equal that data field? It was, it was automatic. And so then, then the, the people who used to do those log comparisons then did, went to conflict resolution, which was probably more important, more highly valued, more rewarding, more, more everything. And so there's a, there has been a tendency in the past to think of RPA and robots as replacing or displacing the human workforce. I think this pandemic has helped us realize that there might be an element of that in the Internet of Things. 
But in the Internet of Persons, it's augmenting that human workforce and complementing what the human workforce can do and taking burdensome things off the human workforce. And so I think there's an acceleration of the mindset that's become more accepting of, well, let me let me look at this RPA thing. And, and, you know, if this RPA thing does the monitoring of all the cameras, I can have my security guards responding to anomalies rather than sitting there watching the cameras. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so again, I, I like to bring things back, peel away the emotion, peel away all the various side issues, get to the main part of what are we after? What do we need to do? And then start adding things on and how does that change the foundation with which you started? Okay. So I have been reading about during the pandemic and also talking to people who were saying there were activities that we hadn't intended to automate, but during the pandemic to keep our humans safe, we've implemented RPA or, or robotic process automation. So we've automated some of our processes with robots to keep our humans safe. And now the question is, do we go back to human run processes or do we remove the humans from those? And there is a significant social consequence as we remove humans from the workforce. Okay. So, so the social consequence of removing humans from the workforce is not the purview of most companies. You know, if, if you're a small privately owned company or, or whatever, the business about, about what the employment rate in the United States or Canada or Mexico or whatever is, is not your issue. You may have a philosophical bent on it or whatever, but you're looking at what's best for our company. And I predict, you know, here I am making predictions when I, when I said nobody <laughs> predict. I, 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 I predict that, that the good companies will continually evaluate and saying, are we better off for having implemented that RPA? If we are, because, you know, regardless of why we did it, we did it for safe, safe, no, we didn't do it for safety. We did it because the governor wouldn't let us go to work. So, I mean, see, so, so the, the, in, in that regard, the reason's immaterial. We did it. And now, now in the evaluation, are we better for it or are we worse for it? If we're worse for it, what lessons do we need to learn from that, from that, uh, implementation of, of uh, robotic processing, and how, how do we make it better? Again, I think that the good companies, if they got you know got started on this avenue of what they're willing to accept, and so let's relook let's relook at how we use people, and, and and again the social the big social implications of my five person company is is irrelevant to the big scale. Mm-hmm. I'm a leader. I'm responsible for this five-person company. Am I better? Am I not? If I am better, how do I make adjustments to maintain that gain and grow the next level? If I'm not better, how much do I need to recoup before I move forward again? So we've got about one more minute in this segment. What else do you want our listeners to be taking away from the conversation about? Um, organizational workforce dynamics? 
the, the, the important thing is, is you, w- you wouldn't be able to accomplish work without a workforce. Mm-hmm. And so you have to understand what motivates that workforce. And then the motivation for some of your workforce may, may be an hourly wage and nothing more, no more identification with you as an organization. Other members of your workforce are heavily invested. They've spent, you know, maybe the large part of their professional careers uh, working this company, identifying with this company, proudly wearing the hat of this company when they play in the company baseball game, uh, th- those kinds of things. So one size doesn't fit all, but you, but but you, you you've got you've got to be able to anticipate what does my human workforce need in order to continue to grow towards those things that are my reason for existing as a company. Beautiful, thank you. So tell our listeners then, as we wrap up, how how they can get a hold of you. Sure. Uh, you can get a hold of me through myros.com, uh, which, which is my website and, and, uh, spell it, spell it, also, please. Pardon? Spell it, please. Cause I'm not sure everyone knows how to spell. It seems obvious, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. My rose is M E Y E R R O S E.com. Uh, you will also find me under LinkedIn and that's the easiest, easiest way to get in contact with me. Great. Thank you. And one can reach me at either LinkedIn, also Maureen Metcalf, on Facebook, Innovating Leadership, or through our website on the contact form or my email, info at innovateleader.com. And we love to hear your feedback because what you tell us makes us better. So as we wrap up, leaders today are facing some hot button issues, many of them, and they're all interconnected. Having the right mindset and tools and continuing to refresh and learn and grow from what we're experiencing allows us to navigate these issues with wisdom and discernment. And my guidance to leaders as we go through this, I heard from one of my clients recently. She said, I, this is my first pandemic. There are some things I don't know. How do we move forward with grace toward ourselves and others and be willing to accept that we are going to make mistakes. And the best thing we as leaders can do is pay attention to the implications of our decisions, own them and course correct as quickly as possible. So thank you for listening. And we trust that Dale's uh, wisdom and insight is helpful to offer some practical solutions And we look forward to having you join us again soon. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.